Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the new episode of Dura, the podcast about what keeps neurosurgeons up at night. My name is Marike Broekman, and I'm a neurosurgeon from the Netherlands who's curious about the stories her colleagues can tell. I'm therefore very happy to speak with my friend and colleague from Copenhagen, Jane Rasmussen. Jane is the head of neuro-oncological surgery in her department and will be speaking to her about glioma care and surgery. We'll do this via the phone because of ongoing COVID-19 restrictions. As always, we begin with the question, how did you sleep last night? Oh, thank you, Marieke, and thank you for the invitation. Well, I did actually sleep quite well last night. I've had some weeks of worrying, or let's say months of worrying. One of the worries were kind of always this thing that whenever you get a small cold in these days, you will think, oh, no, I hope it's not COVID. And what if it's COVID? Can I go to work? Can I take care of the patient that I have an obligation to treat? Or how am I going to do this? But now... After having the first vaccination, yoo-hoo, I feel a bit more relaxed. Uh, so that's that's uh, a good thing. Um, but then just shortly after I woke up, I was immediately thinking about yesterday's patient. Uh, so yesterday's patient was uh, a 65-year-old male. He had uh, an oligodenoglioma grade 3. We know that from a biopsy we took it in advance. Um, and he was, because it was an insular glioma on the left side, we would uh, do it as a mapping awake surgery, which is, of course, what you should do in those patients. The One of the problematical things for that particular patient was that he was uh, 160 kilos heavy, which meant that we could not uh, initiate the awake mapping with um, sleep as we usually do when opening the cranium. So we had to uh, do the whole thing awake. And it actually went quite well, apart from the fact that we could not, unfortunately, remove that much of his tumor. But those things you never know in advance. So it went kind of well. He got some speech difficulties during surgery. And at the end, we had to realize that we could could do no more for him without doing severe damage. And if you do that, you have not helped the patient. And that's, that's uh, one of the things uh, I always have in mind when doing surgery. How can I help this particular patient? Um, yeah. So that was my first thought this morning. Well, I'm glad for the patient that it went well. And I'm glad for him that you were able to help him despite uh, uh, the ongoing pandemic and yes. the risk of, of surgeries being postponed because of that. So you mentioned you do these awake surgeries for uh, glioma patients. What brought you to this field? Why are you? Why did you choose to help specifically those patients? Um, well, some of it's the reason why I went that way is maybe just by chance. But um, I try to stay curious through all the times when I see the patients, and I always try to think of how can I, how could I have done this surgery better, and how can I do better next time, and how can I help both the individual patient, but also the future patients to come. So that, in the beginning, led me to interests uh, in high-grade glioma, which is a very difficult field because they are so sick. And it's 
it occurred to me that some of my colleagues, they were not really interested in that group of patients because they're kind of a lost case in advance. But if you just think it's a lost case and don't do anything about it, yes, then it is a lost case. So that kind of brought me into the field of glioma. And then it also went from the high-grade glioma to the low-grade glioma, which is a group that also needs special care. And then when you work with like low-grade glioma, one of the things you definitely have to consider is awake surgery because in that way you can uh, both help the patient with getting rid of uh, hopefully the, all of the tumor or at least most of the tumor and maintain their function at their best, even if the tumor is in, in an eloquent area. Um, uh, and, and then... It yeah, it kind of just went from there. Uh, so the the my basic thought is always yeah, as I said, how can I do it very well for this particular patient, and how can I do it better for the patients uh, to come? And after every surgery, we always think, hmm, could I have done something uh, different uh, in this particular case? Uh, yeah, that's that kind of things. Um, so I think that that um, along with always consider how you could do the individual surgery for that individual patient, uh, so that you serve the patient best, you should always have in mind uh, how you can at the same time gain experience to improve the care of the future patients, um, and that is one of the things: is how can you improve the the research in uh, in uh, the oncological field, both the low grade and the high grades, and for that reason, I think it's very important that that you kind of see the whole the whole group of patients and how can you can you involve each patient in in a project? It would be perfect in my opinion because then you try to use the experience from every patient to be better for the patients to come. Uh, so that's also one of the things that sometimes keeps me awake at night. Uh, what kind of uh, all the projects that I'm trying to be involved in, and that people get me involved in, um, and and always make sure that that research is not just done for uh, for the glory of doing nice research, but actually done for uh, the better of the patients. And that goes both for the surgery, for the after treatment, for, and also one of the things that I think is that I well I came across that when I started working with the young low-grade glioma patients that that there's an unmet need for care for especially those young patients because they are in a vulnerable situation. Um, one of the other patients I saw last week that also crossed my mind this morning was. <clears throat> A 25-year-old male, he uh, had some sensations, seizure-like sensations in his uh, uh, arms and leg. But he had that when he went for <clears throat> a test uh, play uh, when he was trying to go from one football club to the other. So he's a professional football player and he's been between clubs and was at the training to see if the new club wanted him, he had this strange sensation in his foot. And then originally he was just said, oh, this is just uh, because you're stressed and you're nervous. And then, But then the mother insisted that he should have a scan. And then they saw that he had what appears on the 
MRI to be a low-grade glioma sitting exactly at the bottom of both the sensor and the motor cortex, which explains his, his symptoms, of course. But as most people know, just from a scan, you cannot really tell is this a low-grade glioma? Is this the very early beginning of a high-grade glioma? Well, probably not uh, the way it looks. But even if it's a low-grade glioma, what type? Is it a pediatric type because he's just 25 or is it another type? Um, and and those things you have to take in con- into consideration. And that's your that's your job as a as a surgeon to to consider what can this be but the other very important part is actually how uh, can this patient have a life while you take them into treatment because low grade gliomas you tend to do surgery more than once most of the time in some countries you do uh, also oncology very early in the phase some other some don't we do not we try to um, maintain them uh, tumor free with surgery as long as we can but in in those period in those time they're kind of in a waiting situation how can I go on with my life how can I establish my family how can I go from being a student to being uh, full working in the society Uh, basically how how can they be able to live their life while waiting kind of to to come to the next surgery, which sometimes is five years ahead, 10 years ahead, you don't really know. So that's also one of the things that, sh- that struck me, that, that these patients had uh, something they, they really needed to, we really needed to, them to help them with. Um, so that led me to one of my other projects that I'm very happy about, and that's uh, that we have a research nurse that is assigned not only to to kind of talk with them, but also to be a kind of their guide to the in between hospital stays, basically. So how can they how can they go forward? Is there any kind of support from the society in training in guidance to how how do they? finish their study uh, what if they have to have a break of half a year during some kind of surgery how can you how can you manage your in between hospital life Uh, what do you think your role is in that you mentioned uh, did you have a project and uh, a nurse helping those patients but the impact of glioma on on the lives of patients is tremendous uh, yes, it is, and and I mean, as a surgeon, you can do a lot uh, with with the surgery and make sure you make good surgery, and that's extremely important. And you can, but it's also important to to mm, find out if they actually do have a good quality of life, and then of course you can make a quality of life study, and we we also do that. That's the kind that's the research part of it. But it's it's clear. It was clear for me, um, like for instance, like this young man. So I I don't know. For sure, how are his uh, options? Uh, you know, do he, do does he have uh, an insurance that is cover uh, sickness uh, or whatever? So and and I know that the that nurse that I, I have hired, she has both a big heart and talks with this patient, have time to talk with them for some time, but she also um, she knows a different. Uh, um, what it calls the different social security systems in the different areas where that we support uh, as a surgeon. So, so, so she's very good at pointing the, their the patients in direction where they can get some help with their in between life, uh, and that's extremely important. So, my role as a surgeon is to make sure that she's there, 
and and of course you can also talk with me about the things that that if they need help for an application for some financial support or something else so then then I take part there but but to have her as as their kind of anchor um in their life uh, when they're worried that that makes my job uh, better so she she supports the surgical job that we do you must hear um, horrible stories incredibly sad stories from your patients but also from your nurse how do you deal with it um yeah how do i deal with that um well, <laughs> actually, one very, very, very important thing that I often tell young neurosurgeons is that, I mean, they, nobody likes to tell a patient that they have something they, that they might die of. Um, but a very important lesson is to to realize within yourself that it's actually not your fault they're sick. <laughs> this may sound a bit stupid, but I think it's a good thing to keep in mind that, that if you just realize... F- for real within yourself that it's not your fault that they're sick but it's your job to to help them as best as possible maybe not to cure them because i mean in most glioma patients you cannot cure them but it's to give them the best life they can have while they have their struggle with their glioma and sometimes the best advice is actually to do nothing um so if you have a very old patient with midline glioma that tends to do worse than the peripheral place glioma, a good advice could be to talk with me. How, what, what's your priorities in life? Maybe it's just to not go through a biopsy, not go through radiation, but go home and enjoy the rest of the time you have. And that those, those kind of, of care for, for the individual person uh, is what helps you. Uh, but the, the most important thing is that you start with realizing that it's not your fault they're sick. <laughs> and what do you think is an essential character trait uh, of neurosurgeons involved in the care of brain tumor patients? Uh, well, you have um, you have two groups, I think. Um, so, so some of them they they tend to go for the uh, those uh, tumors that they have a chance of curing the patient. So they, they tend to like the meningioma patients more than the glioma patients. Um, and, and then you have, well, the other that that well, some just do their job and they go home and they don't think. And then you have those who really engage in the life of, of the patient. So I think they fall in three groups. And those who engage in the life, I mean, they are curious, they are de- devoted to the patient, but they have a a big heart for the patients, but the heart should never be so big that you, out of your goodness, just do surgery after surgery. You have to really consider hard when do you actually help the patient. So, so it's it those who can balance between feeling sorry for the patients, but also uh, be aware that feeling sorry is not always going to help them. You have to make sh- think about to help. So, so it's those who can balance between that. Hope you it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Do you think we can train this? Uh, well, we can uh, we can talk about it a lot. Uh, we can we can tell them what how do you deal? Uh, I mean, if they they come to you as a young neurosurgeon, say, oh, I think this. How do you how do you manage having all these very sick patients? And actually, my answer is always well. I start with realizing 
it's not my fault they're sick, but it's my duty to help them as best as you can. And then whenever you have a, a young neurosurgeon assisting you at surgery or you are assisting them, try to evoke this thought in the mind. Can I do better next time? <laughs> Always this self-evaluation. And then talk about how to make sure that, that you help the patient and not just treat pictures. I think it's well. I think that in our institution, it's it's in our daily talk. Um, uh, so I think yeah, I think you can train it. If you talk about it, you you train it, and you 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 awake that uh, feeling in most uh, patients and in most uh, doctors. Mm. But if if you cannot if you cannot awake that feeling, then they should probably do something else than neuro oncology. <laughs> So you mentioned a couple of times that self-evaluation is super important. You should think about how can I do better next time? Yes. So what do you do when you have the feeling I could have done better? Oh, oh, this didn't go as planned. What do you do? Well, sometimes I talk about it with one of my colleagues. So, so if, well, I've always go through my mind when, when okay, was the opening good? <laughs> was the, was the f- placing of the patient good? Uh, so, so and then I just try to memorize that, and then when when I meet that kind of tumor patient next time, I use try to use that uh, as um, as my guide for the following patient. So this it's, it's it's just to say that even though I've been a specialist for for more than ten years and I've been doing this as a consultant of brain tumor surgery with gliomas for uh, f- five years. I think that you should never, never stop to think about uh, how can you do better next time because that's that's the way you keep yourself sharp. And what do you do if something goes wrong with a specific patient? Not it's not next time I should do do it different, but if you have a complication, for instance. Well, I have had complications, and and uh, uh, the most important thing is to talk with some colleagues about it. Did you ever experience anything like this? Uh, how c- could I have avoided that complication? And and first of all, the same thing. You both have to mem- remember those surgeries that went well, but also those who did not go that well, and to take that into yeah, so keep it in your memory so that you. Um, so, for instance, quite early in in my career, I was on call and saw this. Uh, this child also do pediatric oncology who had a temporal tumor. Uh, and then I, you know, quickly scheduled him for MRI within the evening. And then the plan was that he had to go for surgery the next morning because otherwise it would be surgery during the night, which is not so smart with a, with a child of six years old. And then it was just so terrible because actually these temporal tumors, they are really dangerous. Uh, so he, you know, he just he just died because the tumor kind of, the edema progressed uh, and and ever after that whenever i i ran into temporal lobe tumor patients with with large temporal tumor uh, tumors in children i was like okay i have i'll do anything i can to make sure that we do the surgery this night because these tumors they are so dangerous and it's so quickly that they go from from not so good to terrible so so that's that's the thing you have to do when it goes wrong. Make sure you remember and try not to do that next time. And and then tell everybody whenever they meet these tumors, if you are the supervisor of them, <laughs> be careful. They're dangerous. Yeah. And what do you say to the parents of a child like that? 
well, you well, you have to explain them what went wrong and and uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, just be open and 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 say that it went what way it went and um, and well, it's it's well that particular patient was was uh, also cared for by the pediatric oncologist and they were doing a lot of the talking actually it was a very malignant tumor he, he would have died from it anyway so that was kind of the, the, the pediatric oncologist and did, did a lot of the talking actually but those conversations i think are the most difficult ones we have as surgeons oh, yes. what are there any tricks <laughs> is there any advice you can give to resident listening <sighs> I, I think it's, I mean, I don't think there's a specific formula to do this very difficult conversation, but I think have an open mind and be honest is my, my best advice. So hear what they say, let them say out their possibly complaints loud, let them say what's bothering them and, and try it as honest as possible to explain to them. Uh, what happened and don't try to hide something that's they can they can tell most of the time so be honest <laughs> so do you take cases like that back home oh that one i did for a long time <laughs> that one i took home for a very long time yes uh, and i think you should i think you should i don't think you should you know uh, some people say don't take those things at home but i think you should actually otherwise you're not a human once you don't <clears throat> worry about those things things anymore you should stop being those surgeon so what you mentioned um, previously that you're very excited about several of the projects yes uh, what so. do you think we should do for these patients and can you tell us something about your project yeah well <clears throat> apart from those young patients another very interesting project that i'm involved in is um, is uh, some some new surgical aid so most people know when they do glioma surgery that they uh, are assisted by the 5LA or gliolan, whatever you call it, which is a great help, I think, in uh, in glioma surgery. Then there's another dye, fluorescein, uh, at least it's used in some places, uh, and they have advantages and disadvantages to all of them. Uh, and then some years ago, I came across... Um, another substance that possibly could you be used in low-grade glioma. And currently, uh, as people also might know, is that uh, gliolan is not uh, useful in low-grade glioma. And low-grade glioma are quite difficult as well because the border between the tumor and the brain is quite often quite difficult to detect. So you use all kinds of stuff like um, interpretive MR, ultrasound, whatever, to, to try and neuronavigation, of course which is mandatory in the, those patients, but still is problematic. So <clears throat> this new substance has the potential, at least in, in animal studies, to uh, also mark the low-grade glioma, which would be fantastic. So at the time being, uh, we're actually doing this first-in-human trial uh, with this new um with this new dye, and we choose the, the malignant glioma f as a beginning. Um, and, you know, when you look at, at the paper, it's it looks, well, that's that's interesting. I would like to see if it works. But when it comes to the whole uh, work, 
about doing first in man study it's much more complicated that you you can actually imagine so it's the a lot of regulatories uh, in in monitoring uh, deficits monitoring blood samples monitoring you don't know i mean it, it's it's so many hours so i just got a calculation for my research nurse and she is for every patient that goes through this study she uses around 35 hours per patient just to preparing papers um so so it's it's very it's very laboratories to to do these kind of first in human study but it's also very interesting to to see how it works you kind of get respect from for those who did these uh, these studies uh, at and uh, my hope is of course that this uh, new dye uh, can turn out to be really valuable in the low-grade gliomas. But that's in in the first um, project plan. So the first one is to see if it's, is it tolerable in patient and is it working uh, um, as we intended to, and then uh, we can try to use it in the low-grade gliomas as well. And that's one of the things that I'm very, very excited about, that, that this might actually happen. And, and for a project like that, it's really important that you have support of, of the university people. And, and uh, at Rees Hospital in Copenhagen, we have, um, well, the, the university is just next door. And they have a lot of basic research people working there. And so, so this project is, is a collaboration between basic research and, and clinical research. And, and those studies are really important as well. So whenever you hear about something that, that you think could be something in the future, just, just say yes. Because <laughs> uh, that that's what I did when I heard about it uh, almost five years ago. And, and then... Four and a half year after uh, I agreed to 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 do some of the initiating study, then it's it's actually running. So it's very interesting. I can only recommend to to go into those kinds of things. So you would advise uh, fellow colleagues, uh, neurosurgical residents, and students to uh, say yes to opportunities that they that you think could alter the life uh, of patients and improve the outcomes of patients. Do you have other advice for medical students, residents consider, considering a career in neuro-oncology or neuro-oncological surgery? Um, well, there are, there are, well, stay curious is, is, is basic, basic advice. Uh, curiosity is what uh, leads the way forward. Um, but of course, it's it's very important to to also realize that that you have to have the mentality of being able to take care of these very sick patients, and and to be a surgeon, it it also requires that you are uh, a person that actually are good with your hands, because I think surgery is 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 working with your hands in the intelligent way. So it's surgery and some surgery is kind of, you know, you can go read a chapter in a book. So you go from A to B to C to D, but no surgery is more uh, unpredictable in my opinion, especially glioma surgery. So you have to be good with your hands, but you have to use your hands in the intelligent way so that you um, 
always doing surgery are uh, open to that you might change your strategy during the way. That's something you train over the years. But if you're a person who likes everything in very, very fixed boxes, it's, maybe it's not no surgery. That's that's your best option. <laughs> uh, I would I would say that. Um, but curiosity, uh, dig into it. Uh, Ask questions. Why this? Why not that? Uh, enlighten yourself, and and if if you still find it interesting, then you will probably be a very good nose surgeon. I would like to thank Jane for all her tips and stories. I really enjoyed our talk, and I hope you did as well. If you'd like to know more about neurooncology, hear about challenging cases in neurosurgery, or would like to connect with neurosurgeons, please visit us at www.eans.org. Thank you so much for listening and I hope to connect with you in four to eight weeks.